This morning, we're talking with Shannon Byerly, Custer County Sheriff. He's a Colorado native, and he spent 12 years with the department down in Canyon City before he got elected here in 2015. Shannon, thanks for coming by this morning. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know, uh, we had an interview scheduled for a Monday morning, 9 o'clock, and I looked out my door that that morning and saw the smoke coming from what would become the Junkins fire. And so I thought, well, this is probably not going to work. As I recall, that fire broke out at 3.40, or the call came in at 3.40. Uh, so that was just a few hours before. Um, how, did, how did you hear about it initially? <laughs> well, yeah. So Monday morning, uh, the 17th, was a big change for all of us. Nobody had that on our radar. Uh, so I got the call at about 4.07. <laughs> That's what my alarm clock said anyways. Uh, call and the dispatcher was sheriff we have a big fire uh and i said okay where at she said you know down towards eagle springs uh she started giving me more information i told her i would talk to her on the radio let me get dressed and i would head that way so i jumped up and uh got dressed real quick and took off to eagle springs and uh when i until i get around you know because i live over north of the lake as i came around i could see a little bit of a glow and then as the closer I got, and then when I came up onto Hosey Flats, I could, I was like, oh no, this is not good. And so I, I came into Eagle Springs there, um, where, uh, there, there were already some firefighters, um, in there and we were doing evacuations and trying to get folks out of there. It was, uh, it was very eerie, uh, that morning, you know, the wind was, was absolutely just howling and, uh got down in some of those spots and you could just hear that fire. It was like a locomotive. It was just churning and it was, it was eerie, very scary. So your initial thoughts were that, uh, Hey, this is, this is big. I mean, could you, you could tell that that soon? Yeah, absolutely. Just by the glow and, and we, you know, wildfires aren't something new to our area. Um, I don't, I think this is the fourth fire that I've been on not a sheriff, the second is the sheriff, but um, having been on one, the Royal Gorge fire uh, and doing evacuations there, very much the same with the strong winds and and that glow and and the sound that that fire makes when it's generating that much heat and it's moving like that is just, you don't forget it. And I think I I remember you saying on the TV that it had moved – 10 miles in eight hours or, or yeah, it was some, 13, something 13 like miles that. in about the first eight to 10 hours, which is, which is phenomenal, am, which is amazing. So it, this fire burned so quickly. Uh, is that unusual behavior for fires? Yeah. Well, it, it was wind driven, completely wind driven. You know, it didn't help that with our, you know, the conditions that we have super dry, not having, you know, much moisture at all to speak of in the last two months, so many fuels that just, that fire started in the in the grass there, and it was like gasoline, and and the wind just drove it. So at, at this time, what what's the tally for structures lost? So we had nine uh, what we call residences, which were you know living you know quarters where people um, not necessarily their primary residence, but a, a basically a home. And then there were, if I remember correctly, seventeen additional structures which range from like a small cabin that, that doesn't have any plumbing in it to garages um, outbuildings uh, stuff like that so that i mean that's a 
that's very difficult for the folks involved. Absolutely. But but given eighteen thousand acres plus, that's a that's a fairly small n- number of buildings, or so it would seem to me. It's a fairly sparsely populated. Turf. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to quantify because your heart, you know, and your your prayers exactly. go out to all those folks that lost, you know, anything. Whether it was just a small little cabin that set on their property to their residence, you know, it's hard to to go and say, yeah, we, you know, we got lucky or that it was, but it, it could have been much worse. Um, if that wind had been blowing just a little bit more northerly or southerly, I think, you know, that structure loss gets into the fifties, maybe higher, mm-hmm. uh, just because it, it kind of went right down that gun barrel. And, uh, because it was wind driven, it was very odd. And, and I heard the fire folks, I, I'm, I'm certainly no fire expert, but the fire folks saying that, very strange fire behavior because of the wind and how you get up on 165 and those homes that are back up to the north of highway 165 how it would burn one home and not another and you would have a home that burned down and there'd be a vehicle sitting right within 20 (laughs) feet of the home and it's not affected in the least bit just really strange you mentioned 165. Uh, both uh, 96 and 165 were closed for a while. Uh, as, as I heard you say again on on the television, CDOT does not like their roads closed any longer than they have to be. How how do those kinds of road closures on the major thoroughfares happen? Uh, so that morning we basically, I mean, I made the call to close those down. So Highway 165 had fire on both sides of the highway. That's, uh, I mean... An, an automatic safety issue for for everyone involved and you certainly don't want to get you know anybody injured so uh, i made the call to close them down but then cdot was super supportive uh, state patrol um all the agencies highly effective very professional they they jumped in lend a hand and, and we got it done i mean pretty quickly and and thinking about this effort uh this is a huge effort. There were multiple aircraft, multiple vehicles from different jurisdictions, over 900 firefighters. How does the coordination on such a massive effort happen? So it's it is complex. You, I mean, you, as you stated, there were I you know I would be remiss to even try to to give you the number of agencies involved or try to list them for for sure. But it's very complex, and so the. Fortunately, we worked ahead of this uh, with all the different agencies around here, and we had a lot of uh, a lot of meetings and planning, knowing that you know, unfortunately, we knew that we were going to have a fire at some point. Mm-hmm. So we had to get ahead of it, and so we, uh, you know, I, um, myself, the county commissioners, uh, Office of Emergency Management, we all sat down with you know Department of Fire Prevention and Control from the state with the Forest Service, and we got that all planned out. So. You know, that morning as I came over Hosey Flats and saw that fire, I knew right away that I needed to call Joe Lobiondo from uh, DFPC, the state, so that he could start heading this way so that he could get an incident management team going because this was way beyond, you know, what we could handle locally. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was fairly qu- fairly quickly that a Type 1 team was put into place, and uh, they came from, as I understand, the Great Basin. So there's a distance piece in that equation right. to to get them there. So they must have been called out fairly fairly quickly in the whole. Yeah, in the whole they thing. were. So so what happened was within, um, I, I would say within three hours, we had you know Joe Loviando actually less than that. It was two hours. 
we had Joe Loviano from DFPC, and then also um, we made a immediate call to um, Dennis Page, who works for the Forest Service out of Canyon City, and he started heading this way as well because we knew how big it was going to be. And then Dennis Page, um, so the way that works is, is then because we know it's out of a bigger than local jurisdiction, we delegate suppression efforts to DFPC, and then they in turn can request assistance from the Forest Service through a Type 3 team who then can request the Type uh, and what they did is they didn't necessarily request a type one team. It's just because we're so late in the year, this is not fire season. So all the type two teams had stood down for the year because typically this would have been managed by a type two team, um, from a, a closer region, but because those had stood down for the year, the type one team is the one. And, and so Beth London, her, her team out of, as you said, Idaho, the great basin, they, uh, they were the next ones on the list. And so they mobilized and some flew, some drove, hmm. But they they were actually frustrated that they didn't get here faster because of the distance. Not that we didn't, you know, that they weren't requested. It's just the time it took them to get here. They would have liked to have been here a day earlier. I remember looking at the the map of the fire, and there was a finger that went up. Uh, it might have been Mason Gulch or along Hardscrabble Creek. There, I imagine that was a place that you looked at pretty closely in terms of how to contain that. Well, and we, you know, we had lost. We did lose some, you know, several structures along you know, 387, 386 in there. Nature, you know, nature kind of protects itself with fire. And so the Mason Gulch fire burn scar, you know, that had, uh, that had burned several years ago, it really stopped that fire. If uh, that had not been there, um, it would have gotten down into the grasslands there and they'd have been fighting that thing in Pueblo West. You know, I mean, it was just... Uh, it was rolling along with that, you know, those old burn mm-hmm. scars, they, they act as fire breaks and it basically, it didn't stop the fire from moving that direction, but it certainly threw the brakes on it. Mm-hmm. So thinking about, uh, the fire, how, how did you think the response went both locally and state and nationally? I mean, it seemed to come uh, together really quickly. It did. It did. I, I tell you what, again, and, and, and I, and I always talk to folks about it, but, if you plan ahead and you and you and you work on it and, and you're forward thinking, things seem to be uh, and go smoother. And so, I mean, I give all the credit to Chief Tonzing, his guys, um, OEM, uh, the commissioners for helping facilitate all these meetings uh, with everyone, so that we knew when I made that phone call um, Monday, early Monday morning, and knew that. Julio and you know DFPC was coming I knew exactly who was going to show up because I had talked to him many times and I knew the paperwork we were going to have to do because we had gone over it and we worked it and tweaked it so that he knew what we were expecting we knew what he was going to need so that transition happened then Dennis Page we knew what he because I knew I know Dennis because we've met and worked together um, on these things and so all that planning and just understanding that listen it's a real threat that's it's going to happen at some point that allowed a, a really smooth transition. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. But I, but for the size of the fire, the you know we I think it went really well. And to be able to get that te- uh, type one team in, who they are consummate professionals. I tell you what, they they did an outstanding job for our community. Well, I live right off ninety six, and in the mornings and the evenings, I've never seen that level of traffic. Just lines of trucks going going back and forth it just it was 
it was huge. So let me let me ask the the emergency management and law enforcement etc. Seem to have good procedures. Just just as you as you say when you're thinking about that. Uh, but what what about the community support? You know, a lot of folks stepped up to. Uh, you know, restaurants stepped up and there was food and people had to find places to stay, places for horses, the transportation and all that. Was Does, does that happen more organically or from your perspective or is that planned in advance uh, like like your, your, your side of things? It is planned. It is planned. And, you know, I, I didn't even talk about yet I, and I was going to, to, going to. So then you talk about all of our volunteer organizations and then and some that aren't uh, volunteers, but they certainly manage some of the volunteers. And you know, from public health and Karen Share did a. I mean, they jumped in. Uh, and then again, if I start naming all of them, I'm going to miss somebody, <laughs> and I don't want to. And I certainly don't want to do that. But yeah, all the organizations in town, the restaurants offering, you know, to provide food and and lunches to to law enforcement that are out on road guards or the EMS folks, uh, C dot that were doing, you know, manning. Uh, uh, traffic control points and the state patrol and Fremont County, Florence, uh, you know, Pueblo County, all of those different agencies that the restaurants are helping feed. And, and then just the outpouring of care and, and, and support from the entire community. It, it was really, it was, it was really awesome. And I guess that's one of the reasons we live here is that we know we have a community like that. Uh, the incident manager, you know, Beth Lund, she commented on what a great community we have and how supportive everyone was. If somebody needed something, there was someone from our community there to help them. And it just speaks volumes about where we live and the great folks we have. It's true. And I know the community that's not involved with the day-to-day on these sorts of things looks sort of in awe at the size of the response and the professionalism that goes into people know exactly what they're supposed to do and just basically get it get it done. So there was a lot of appreciation on, from the community side on that, I know. Well, I, w- I would also say, too, just, just an, as a, an aside, but um, from the early response on Monday morning through uh, the evening of Tuesday before the, the Type 1 team got going, there was a tremendous, tremendous response by just all the local folks from, from uh, Wet Mountain Fire, uh, Wetmore, you know, fire department, and then all the other emergency responders. Um, Monday morning was extremely dangerous. That, as a, you know, we said with that fire, and uh, there were some folks that put themselves in precarious situations to ensure that folks got evacuated and to protect some homes and and structures. And so, let's not. The the type one team came in and and basically got this fire under control and and tied up so that we can manage it again. But those first two days, we, we lose, you know, we probably another third to, you know, half as, again, as many structures if those great fire folks and responders weren't, you know, doing what they did. Mm-hmm. Shannon, I'm curious, uh, thinking about this major event, your staff is uh, limited, but you get into something like this and you're on a 24-7 sort of schedule. It's got to push not only your staff to the limit, but perhaps the the budget uh, that goes along with it is is an issue too. Yeah, it really is, Gary. It's you know, it taxed all of us, uh, all the resources countywide, not just my agency, but uh, others as well. Um, but you know, that's that's something that comes with it. Uh, 
we have we have a really great posse uh, that donated hundreds of hours. Uh, you know, I I can't even begin. We haven't even tallied that up how many hours they they spent, which you know doesn't directly cost the county, but uh, because the posse uh, doesn't cost, that helps. But then one of the things with the um, fire is is because the type one two came in because the county commissioners you know made a county declaration a uh, disaster declaration and the size of the fire and the cost you know uh, as of yesterday morning the cost was a little over eleven million dollars to to fight this fire uh, we're we're eligible for um, some reimbursement called fmag and um, it's an acronym and I'm not going to be able to tell you what that stands for here because it's alphabet soup but nevertheless so what happens is is once they applied for the fmag and the governor approved it the and the and the feds the feds will come in and they'll pay 50 percent of the cost of the fire right off the top then the state will come in and pay 75 percent of that remaining 50 percent and then we as a county have to pay 20 percent or 25 percent rather of that Um, that remains so that doesn't have to be in necessarily hard funds it can be in soft funds like hours worked and so on and so forth so there is a really good chance that the county is going to be reimbursed for um, a portion of those you know of the money that that goes to overtime but it is it's going to be tough you know especially with the budget I'm already you know we were already well over on overtime uh, for the year uh, it does stress us, and you know the commissioners and I. We have to sit down, and figure out how to pay for it. But, but ultimately, it had to be done, and um, we we worry about it after the fact and figure it out. Good, good. Thanks for that clarification. Is there a process after the dust settles from an incident like this, where you and others get together to sort of review how it went? those sorts of things absolutely we do an after action uh review so what will happen is you know we're, we're standing down so t- now the type three team's back managing the fire once and there's about 100 to 150 firefighters uh still here um and then as that cycles back to just uh the county managing that and you know basically keeping an eye on it uh, and then once we get uh, you know they like to use the word significant uh, weather event, which we all know means snow. Uh, <laughs> once we've get some snow on the ground, we know the fire's out and it's not mm-hmm. going to uh, rear its ugly head. Then we will we'll sit down, but all of us are making different notes and, and lists of things that hey, you know, we can do this to be better, or this went really well, and we want to make sure we do this again. And so we get that, and we get um, when the Type One team left, they gave us a list, you know, of positives and negatives, and they, so they gave us a report. For feedback we use, the Type 3 team will do the same. We'll do it locally, and we'll just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be better at it next time. But as I've told lots of folks, um, I don't ever want to be really good at it because that means we're doing it too much. <laughs> so did we learn anything in particular from this, this fire? We, we know that we have to start really pushing towards mitigation and getting our hazard mitigation plan finalized through the state so that we can get some grant funds to go out into these uh, housing developments and 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 put money into that to mitigate so that when we do have fire, there's a lot more defensible space and these structures can be saved uh, because uh, some of them, the firefighters drive up and they're like, 
there's nothing we can do with this home, and they go right by and they go to save the ones they can because if, if your house is not defensible, um, it's really they're not going to put themselves at risk when there's an other homes that can be. So that we've learned that, and we've got to educate the public on that. I know you've got uh, bigger fish to fry than, than this today. We appreciate you coming by. And on behalf of the, the station and the community, thanks for everything your department does, and uh, in especially in coordinating this this large effort, especially as you say, on those first few days before the you know the the, the big team gets here, because that that is when the critical things are happening. I know. Yeah, it, it really was. That's that's you know where the rubber met the road, and and our community from top to bottom responded well. I can't express my thanks enough to everyone in the community uh, that was out there, whether they were directly or indirectly involved. Um, we got nothing but you know support. Didn't get a lot of grief about access on roads and high, because they understood. They could see it. It was very real, and I really appreciate that. That helps and makes our job a lot easier. And uh, just appreciate all the support. Thanks for having having me in today, and, and look forward to it's doing it again. It's good to see you. We'll, let's, let's get together again, and hopefully it will be not under these conditions, and we can talk about the, the normal uh, ebb and flow of things that you do on a, on a daily and weekly basis. You bet, Gary. Thanks for having me. We've been speaking with uh, Shannon Byerly, Custer County Sheriff, on Valley Views. My name is Gary Taylor. We'll see you next time.